Amen. Little words can sometimes have great impact. One of those little words is the word but. Three weeks ago, the Reverend Ermel Kirby was preaching from that passage uh, in the book of Kings about the story of Naaman or Naaman, however you like to pronounce it. And I was struck once again by that little word but that comes towards the beginning of the story. The story, of course, is about the healing that eventually came to Naaman through the prophet Elisha, but it opens with the, a description of the man that goes like this. Naaman was a commander of the, the army of the king of Aram, a soldier who'd risen to the highest position, obviously. He was a great man in the sight of his master. In other words, he was trusted by his boss, the king. He was highly regarded because through, through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. In other words, he was successful, um, probably had a good annual review and might even get a pay rise. And then he was a valiant soldier, something about his character. He was a brave man. That's quite a series of accolades. And then comes that little word, but. But he was a leper. And that was a pretty big but because lep leprosy was a, a dreaded disease. One commentator summarizes Naaman's condition by saying, having achieved all that a hero could achieve, he still found it himself excluded from life. And in the view of many people in those days, excluded from the presence of God. We see many parallels, the successful celebrity who's earned fame and fortune, but who's been diagnosed with an incurable cancer. Or the person who's done well for themselves and lives in a new two million pound mansion, but then has an accident, leaving them confined to a wheelchair. Or to take another example from scripture, in a few weeks time, we shall find ourselves reading through the story of John the Baptist, uh, who came to prepare the way for Jesus. And in the early verses of his gospel, Luke uh, begins by introducing us to John's parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And he tells us this about them. Uh, Zechariah was a priest who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aram. In other words, they came from good stock, spiritually speaking. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and regulations blamelessly. They were good people of integrity. But... But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well on in years. That was another big but. Because in first century Jewish society, childlessness was not only a disappointment to those who so much longed to have a child, but it was regarded by many people as a sign of God's displeasure. And for us, I suspect that most of us have learned from our experience but our Christian discipleship, loving God and obeying his commands, isn't a quick fix route to making all our hopes and dreams come true. Or to take another example of this little word, but being very significant, we find it in a story that we often read at Easter time. The story of two disconsolate friends of Jesus who were walking on the road to Emmaus. And suddenly they were joined by Jesus, even though they didn't recognize him. Jesus engages them in conversation and draws out the reason why they're so depressed. They tell him they've been followers of this Jesus of Nazareth, 
who was not only a friend but a spiritual leader for them, but somebody in whom they put their trust. He was a prophet, powerful before God and all the people, they say. Chief priests and rulers handed him over to be killed. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. But we had hoped. Now, how many people live with that kind of phrase dominating their lives? Hope shattered by the death of someone they love. Hope shattered because they put their trust in a political leader who haven't, hasn't delivered what they hoped a person might deliver. Or hope shattered because a business that they built up has collapsed almost overnight. You know, even in the work of God's kingdom, that damaging, there's a damaging impact of that little word, but, as well. The early chapters of the Acts of the Apostles, we read the exciting story of how the church began to expand after Pentecost. Sick people were healed, corrupt people and the authorities were challenged. The community of Christian believers became strong. And chapter four ends with the description of that new community of love where people not only shared mealtimes and prayer times, but their money and their possessions so that nobody went in need. And at that point, having read all that, we probably want to shout, praise the Lord. And then we read on into chapter five. Many translations begin that chapter with the word but. But a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira, his wife. And the story goes on to tell us about this couple who sold land, gave money to the apostles, but deceived them by pretending that they give them the whole of the proceeds of the sale, when in fact... They'd only given part. The first story of deceit and corruption in the life of the Christian community. Sadly, there have been so many more. You've probably noticed, as I have, that when something seems to be going well with God's work, it often gets spoiled. Someone manages to scupper a good piece of work or divide people, or we simply mess up. Even God's work and the work of God's kingdom is not exempt from the destructive effects of that little word, but. I wonder whether that word but is casting some kind of a shadow over your life at the moment. Everything was honky-dory, but. Most of us are bugged by a but in our lives somewhere, especially at the end of this rather difficult year. So I've been asking myself the question, does that word but always have to be the harbinger of bad news? And from my reading of scripture, the answer is a clear no. And so very briefly, let me share three places where that little word but offers us fundamentally good news. The first place is in a great passage that we shall very likely read at some time over the Christmas or Epiphany period. Isaiah chapter 60, arise, shine for your light has come. Words addressed to the Jewish people coming out of a long period of exile in Babylon. Isaiah sets the scene first of all. Darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the people. That description may seem to fit our circumstances rather well. Because even in non-COVID times, there's hardly a nation of the world untouched by hunger or poverty, natural disaster, 
involved in war with another country or with its own society deeply divided. And the impact of COVID has been so great on many nations at the moment. Darkness covers the earth and thick darkness the peoples. But, but the Lord shall arise and his glory shines upon you. Time and time again, the Lord shines in our darkness, our thick darkness, with his healing, with his springs of compassion and his forgiveness, which comes to transform situations that have been bogged down in strife. The second passage where that word but introduces us to some good news is found in the story of the prophet Elijah. You remember Elijah, the prophet who was called, called to do battle with a society that had been overrun by godlessness and false religions. He mounted an amazing campaign and had a great victory with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. But the whole experience left him exhausted and depressed. And he complained to God. He said, Lord, I've been doing your work, but my enemies are trying to kill me. And I'm the only one left to speak for you. He receives a reply from God. But, but there are still 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. No, Elijah, you're not alone. In an age of secularism and materialism laced with a mix of new age spiritualism, we may sometimes feel that the way of Jesus Christ has been well and truly sidelined. We may look at the weakened condition of the Christian church, especially in the Western world, and say there aren't many of us left. But God says, but there are still many who have been faithful to me. You are not alone. And finally, I was reminded of the third passage where that word but comes to offer a great encouragement when I heard Michael Burke trailing the radio programme The Moral Maze about a fortnight ago. Michael Burke said that that week's programme would be addressing the fear of death that is so prevalent, as he put it, and how the coronavirus pandemic seems to have exposed that fear. Many people fear death because it's something like an enemy beyond our control. But writing to the Corinthian Christians, the Apostle Paul addresses this fear. And in that reading Sanya shared with us, we heard his words about us being the most miserable of all people if it is only for this life that we have hope. However, he goes on, but, but Christ has been raised from the dead and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. This strong affirmation led St. Francis of Assisi to pen some words about death in very positive terms. You'll be familiar with them because we sing them as part of a hymn sometimes when he addresses death as their kind and gentle death and goes on to say, thou leadest home the child of God and Christ our Lord the way has trod. Regarding death as home, the way to home, is very different from regarding death as our enemy. And so in those three places alone, and uh, if you want a little bit of homework for the week, you might like to look through scripture and find some of the many other examples. But in those three places alone, that little word, but, introduces us to good news of God's ultimate power 
providing us with enough hope to face difficult situations, to keep faithful in the Lord's work, and to be unafraid of death. Thanks be to God. Amen. <laughs>